Well, I was in downtown Cleveland one night with a group of friends. I was living in Ohio at the time, and we'd just gone to a sports game, and it was, it was an exciting game. The team won at the end. We were excited, so we went out to a sports bar after the game. We were going to grab some dinner, and we were all standing around a table, and all of a sudden, in the middle of our conversation, one of my friends cut in and said, oh, this is about to be good. And we all just kind of looked at him and said, look, look who just walked in. And in walked one of the local sports radio talk show hosts. Now, in Cleveland at the time, there were multiple sports stations on the radio. And two of the stations were going back and forth at each other. They, one station would insult the other station, and the other station would insult that station back. And it was an insult war, and if you were... Uh, Cleveland sports radio fan, I realize that's a really small slice of humanity now that I say that out loud, you knew about this war that was going on, and what was so interesting was the, the radio host who just walked into the sports bar was from the rival station of a radio host who was already in the sports bar up at the bar, and my friend's like, oh, this is about to get really good because these two stations were just going back and forth at each other insulting each other, and we watched as the sports, the sports radio host who just arrived at the sports bar looked up, and he saw his rival from the other station, and he walked over in that direction. We're like, oh, this is about to be really good, and then we watched as they shook hands and bro-hugged, <laughs> and then they ate dinner together. And that's the moment we realized this is all professional wrestling. <laughs> like, we thought it was legit. We thought they hated each other. We were, just, we were just going along for the ride. It was all for ratings, and they'd sucked us in. And they sat down, and we couldn't believe that these two guys were having dinner together. We thought they hated each other. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you've had dinner with somebody that people outside looking in wouldn't recognize that you're actually friends with this person, that you have a relationship. And if they knew that, they'd be kind of surprised. But this morning as we continue our look at followers, as we've been looking and we see all the different kinds of people that Jesus called to himself to come and follow him. And last week we looked and tragically saw the one who wouldn't. And the rich young man who decided that because he couldn't have Jesus on his own terms, he didn't want to follow after Jesus. Today we're going to see a story that has some parallels with the rich young man that we saw last week, but a very different outcome. It's a story if you grew up in church, you've undoubtedly heard. But it's a story that had some people scratching their heads, and it tells us a lot about who God is and his love for us. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. Once you've downloaded the Bible app on your device, you can enable the events feature within the app and either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201. Again, that's zip code 54201. If you have a traditional Bible with you, we're going to be in the third book of the New Testament today, the book of Luke, chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 1. And if you're streaming, thanks so much for joining us. The verses will be available on the screen below as we see today a weird dinner scene that people didn't really understand between Jesus and a man named Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, we read these words. He, 
Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So just to get us started with the background of what's going on here, we're told immediately that Jesus is on another journey and he arrives at Jericho and he's just passing through Jericho on his journey. And the next person we're introduced in in Luke's recounting of this is there's a man named Zacchaeus. Now, an interesting thing about Zacchaeus is he was the chief tax collector and he was rich. Now, I'm willing to bet that most of us don't have real favorable views on taxation. But even if you do, even if you have a real favorable view on taxation, you would not generally have a favorable view on taxation in Zacchaeus' time. And let me tell you why. This isn't like our system of taxation. This isn't as clean cut as our system of taxation. All right, it's, it's way more complicated and even more corrupt than that. The Romans were really smart, and they recognized that they couldn't impose, they, they could impose a tax on all of the areas that they ruled over, but they recognized that there were way too many areas that they were ruling over for them to understand where all the money could be hidden. And so the Romans would then put it on the governor's to make sure that all the regions would be taxed. And what the governors would do is they would then treat the tax centers like a franchise. So similar to your favorite fast food restaurant or or something along those lines, a a tax person in that day would bid on the tax center from the governor. And the highest bidder would get to buy that region, and they would own that franchise. They would own that region of taxation. And they would be required to collect a certain amount that would then be sent to the governor, and the governor would skim off that, and then they would be required to send what Rome demanded in the first place. But every franchisee who bought the tax center would have the ability to essentially charge whatever they wanted to. And... They had the law backing them up. It was incredibly corrupt. And the people were incredibly powerless to do much about it. And we're introduced to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus has bought one of these tax centers. He owns the franchise. And yeah, he's incredibly rich. But he's also incredibly hated. Because it was an instant It was an instant moneymaker. It was instantaneous wealth. But you were ultimately despised by everyone in town. Because everyone in town knew that you ripped them off. And there was nothing that they could do about it. So these are the two individuals that were told about right off the bat in Luke 19. Jesus, coming through on a journey, arrives in Jericho. And there is Zacchaeus, who is corrupt, who is wealthy, and who is despised in the region. And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. Now we're told even a little bit more about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. 
Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see what was going on. He want, he'd, he'd heard about it undoubtedly, and he wanted to see what all the fuss was about. He wanted to see what all the news was about. What's this craze, all, all that I've heard about Jesus? What's going on? And he wanted to see him, but we're also told that Zacchaeus is short. So I want to take you back to the time you were a little kid. Maybe it was a sporting event. Maybe it was a play. Maybe it was a movie before we had the tiered seating and the reclining seats at the theater. Whatever the case may be, I want to take you back to that time where you're a little kid and you've been built up and you're really excited to go see something. And you get there, you get into your seat and you sit down and you can see it in front of you. You can see the field or you can see the stage or you can see that massive movie screen in front of you. And this is really cool. And then all of a sudden, just a couple minutes before the game or before the play or before the movie starts, in walk the people who have the seats right in front of you. And you're a little kid and they're taller than you and they sit down and all you can see is the back of, your head, of, the back of their head. Now, I grew up in a time where it was like, tough, that's life, look around, deal with it. My kids have grown up in a different age. A couple years ago, we took our kids to a sporting event. We were talking up the baseball game. They were really excited. We get to the baseball game. They can see the field. It's great. Everything's going well. Halfway through the first inning, the people who have the seats in front of us come. They sit down, and my kids can no longer see the field. And they weren't big fans of that. So I spent the rest of the game holding one of my children on my lap. And it's not like he could sit still on my lap and look around the person. No, he had to stand on my lap in front of me. So like my whole view of the game was my kid's butt in my face. And every time I try to try to like look around, he'd wiggle like right in my face. And, and that, was, that was my encounter. So you know how frustrating that is if you can remember back being a kid or you've been a parent and encountered something like that or you've just... You, you yourself are kind of short, and you've had that experience where somebody taller sits right in front of you. You know how frustrating that can be, and this is where we see Zacchaeus. Now, in our society, we would think, all right, richest person in town, start greasing the palms a little bit. Hey, you're in front of me. Let's, let's work out something here. I'll pay you, we'll do a little switcheroo, I'll make my way up to the front. That's, that's how it would work. But remember, everyone in town knows Zacchaeus. Because he's ripped them all off. There's not a chance of that happening. Nobody's going out of their way to help Zacchaeus. Nobody's going to do anything for this guy. And he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to, to figure out what all this was about, but he gets there and the crowd is just massive and he's short. And he's frustrated. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. For he was about to pass that way. I love this about Zacchaeus. I love how determined he is. I love how driven he is. And there's a universal point that I'm just going to stop and talk about here just for a second before we go back to the spiritual points. And this is a universal point, whether you follow Jesus or not. This is true of every single person universally, something that we have all experienced. You are going to encounter roadblocks in your life. You are going to encounter obstacles in your life. And the question is, what do you do when those roadblocks come? What do you do when the obstacles come? 
This isn't just true of us spiritually. This is true universally. And the question is, are you just the type of person that throws in the towel? When the difficulty comes and the roadblock comes and all the plans and all the purposes that you thought for yourself and you had this plan and it doesn't go according to plan, do you just throw in the towel? Do you just quit? You just walk away? Accept it? I love the drive. I love the determination here of Zacchaeus that he runs up ahead. And he's like, all right, plan A didn't work, but there's got to be a plan B. There's got to be something else that can work. And he just goes, and then he finds a tree, and he climbs up the tree. The question is, how do you respond when life doesn't respond the way that you think it should? How do you, how do you respond when you reach those obstacles, when you hit that point of difficulty? And what do you do? Now, that's universally true. It's universally true of every single person who has ever lived and will ever live. We will all face opposition. We will all face obstacles. The question is, what do we do to respond? And now I want to talk about the more important aspect of it, the spiritual aspect of it. How do we respond? How do we respond when the things that we've prayed about and the things that we've planned for don't come to fruition. What do we do when we hit those obstacles, when we hit those walls? And the things that we desire are good things. Zacchaeus desired to have an encounter with Jesus. Talk about a worthy and noble desire. This is a worthy and noble desire. Yet the obstacles are still there. And these are the moments when, if we're God, we're like, God, really? You can't just part the people? You parted a sea to lead an entire nation through? You can't just part the people and make a way so a short guy can make it up front so he can have an encounter with Jesus? What are you doing? And I'm reminded when we find ourselves in this place of obstacles, I'm reminded of a situation that I had in college. I was driving back from college, and I wanted to arrive home at a certain time because I had plans that night to go out with friends. And on the way back, I had to get gas, and there was a truck stop that I loved to stop at to get gas because I was in college, which meant I was always hungry. And at the truck stop, they had a self-serve little Pizza Hut stand that had those personal pan pizzas and the breadsticks with the dipping sauce, and it was just a little bite of goodness on my journey. So I had to stop there all the time, like every trip back. And I walked in one day after I filled the car up with gas, and I knew exactly how much time I had, and I, I need what time I needed to get back in order to make my plans that night. And I walked up to the little stand, and they were, they were, they were empty. They didn't have any of the pizzas and any of the breadsticks. And I asked an employee, hey, what, what's going on with the pizza situation? They're like, yeah, just give us five minutes. I'm like, all right, I, I can do five minutes. Well, 15 minutes later, they finally had the, the pizzas ready and the breadsticks, and I bought them, and I, I ate them as I was driving, which was really a feat in and of itself. Probably don't recommend that in hindsight, uh, but, but did all of that. And then I picked up another friend that I had to pick up on the way back to the house. And I picked him up. We're driving along, and I'm frustrated because we're a little bit behind schedule, but everything's still going to work out just fine. And then we had to slam on our brakes and we come to a screeching halt. I'm looking around, and there's no detour signs. There's no construction signs. 
There is no reason where we, we weren't on the outskirts of a city. There was no reason where we were, the traffic should be backed up like it was. And we sat in this traffic that did not move for an hour and a half. And I was beyond frustrated. And then the next day, the next morning, I saw in the newspaper, because that's how old I am, I went to college when people actually read a newspaper, on the local section, the front page, there was the report of a fatal car accident that happened a mile and a half in front of where we were stuck. Ten minutes before we came traveling through. Sometimes the delays, sometimes the obstacles, sometimes the frustration points that we experience in life are God's provision and God's protection. Or God working behind the scenes. And we don't recognize what he's doing. We don't recognize what all he's up to. But God's at work. And the same is true as we're going to see here with Zacchaeus. That he wants to have an encounter with Jesus. He wants to see what Jesus is all about. And he gets there and there are people everywhere. And he's short and he can't see it. But he's going to be driven. And he's going to be determined. And so he goes and he climbs up a tree. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. Jesus, out of everyone who's there, out of everyone who's there to see him, so many people, in fact, that Zacchaeus couldn't even see him moments earlier, out of everyone who's there, Jesus looks up and he sees the most hated person in town. And he calls him by name. And out of everyone that he could choose, he chooses the person who's despised the most. He chooses the person that everybody in town knows his story. Everybody in town knows that he's a thief. Everybody in town knows what he's done wrong. And he calls him out by name. And you might feel right now like you don't have an ally. And you know your past. And everyone knows your past. And we know your past. Not because we want to be in your business. It's just a small town and word travels. Everybody knows everything, all right? So we know. Everybody knows. And you might feel like, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. God, I'm too far gone. What I've done is too wrong. And I just want to encourage you this morning that God is looking up to you and he is calling out your name. He has seen your past. He knows your past. He knows your mistakes. He knows your wrongdoing. He knows the mess you're currently in. And he still loves you. And he is calling out after you, out of everyone in that crowd, that Jesus could have chosen. 
He chooses Zacchaeus. And he says, hurry, come down. Don't wait. And then Jesus invites himself over for dinner. Like, he's not just saying, hey, Zacchaeus, let's have a conversation. He's like, hey, I'm coming to your house. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus responds, and he responds without delay. And I just want to encourage you, stop putting off to a later time what you know God's calling you to do. Stop putting off to a later time what you already know God is calling you to do. You might be like, well, I didn't have the dinner plan in mind, so when Jesus said, hey, have me over for dinner, I couldn't have. No, stop. I'm not encouraging you to be reckless, but if you know that God is calling you to do something, you stop putting it off. Go after it. You may not have all the answers. You may not know how everything's going to play out. But if God is calling you to do something, you've prayed about and it aligns with Scripture and the Spirit's impressing it on your heart, then you follow through and stop making excuses. Stop waiting. Get out of the tree and follow what God is calling you to do. Zacchaeus responds without delay, and he received him joyfully. And here's the next question that I have to ask. Is following Jesus joyful for you? Is following Jesus joyful for you? Is it really? Because here's the reality that we're not supposed to talk about. Sometimes following Jesus isn't really joyful for us, and the reason is because we've bought into the lie. We've bought into the lie that somehow following after God and doing what he wants us to do with our lives is somehow keeping us from something better. That because God is calling us to, to listen to him for our lives to look more like his, for us to die to ourselves and elevate what God calls us to do. The truth be told, there are times that we're like, I don't really want to do this. And if that's true in our lives, we have to ask some really difficult questions. The fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace. And if following after God is begrudging for you, if following Jesus is something that's just a routine or something that you're doing, but it's not something that, that brings you joy, then you have some really serious questions that you need to wrestle with in your heart. I will tell you that a life of following after God is the recipe for the most joy that you could ever experience in this world. But there are going to be times that we have to do things that we don't want to do. And the question is, will we believe the lie? That somehow, if we do what we want to do rather than what God has called us to do, that we're going to have more joy and we're going to have more fulfillment. It's a question that only you can answer. But is following Jesus joyful for you? And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And here's one of the greatest contrasts that we see between the heart of God and the heart of the religious people of that day. Now, it's easy for us, right? It's easy for us to look and to condemn them. It's easy for us to look and say, what a horrible attitude that they had. That they weren't excited about Zacchaeus and the encounter that he had with Jesus. But we got to remember, 
we haven't been the ones ripped off. We've got a couple thousand years of hindsight here. It didn't affect our balance sheet. Zacchaeus didn't steal our money. They couldn't say the same thing. This was personal. This impacted them. This had implications in their savings account. This mattered to them. And yeah, they grumbled what they should have celebrated. Well, the next question we have to ask ourselves is, would we do the same? Would we do the same? No, I think universally, we can all look and we can all be excited about the fact that we serve a God who loves sinners. And that while we are far from God, Jesus loves us and Jesus seeks us out. We can be excited about that universally. Well, let's make it personal. Are we excited about that when it comes to our enemy? If we heard our enemy came to a relationship with Jesus, could we celebrate that? Could we be excited about that? What about our ex? What if it was our ex who came to a relationship with Jesus? What if our God was doing something really cool in the life of our ex? Can we celebrate that? And to be clear, I'm not saying that that's a recipe to go back into a bad relationship or go into business with somebody who's defrauded you. But if we're at the point where we cannot celebrate God working in the lives of people who have done us wrong, then there are still wounds in our lives that we need to address. And there are still things in our lives that we need to work through. It's easy for us, in hindsight, to look at them and universally say, how could you not celebrate what Jesus was doing? But when it comes to us personally, and the implications are personal. We see it can become a whole lot more difficult. Jesus is the guest of a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I have defrauded anyone of anything. I restore it fourfold. In an instant, we see that he has changed from an encounter with Jesus. In an instant, he has changed from an encounter with Jesus. And the marks of the conversion, we don't have the actual conversion recorded for us, but it is clear what's going on here. And the marks of the conversion are evident. What we see are their generosity and restoration. That immediately he gives half of what he has to the, to the poor. And he offers to repay anyone that he's defrauded. And spoiler alert, he's defrauded pretty much everyone in town that he's collected taxes from. He offers to repay any of them four times what he has defrauded them of. And we contrast this with the tragic case that we saw last week. I was a rich young ruler who wanted to follow Jesus, but he wanted to follow Jesus on his terms. 
And as soon as that was not available to him, he said, I'm no longer interested. And here's Zacchaeus. And he follows Jesus, and it changes him, and it changes him to his core. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, ethnically, Zacchaeus didn't change. Ethnically, Zacchaeus was always Jewish. But what Jesus is talking about here is spiritually, his entire condition has changed. Everything about him has changed spiritually as a result of the encounter that he had with Jesus. And Jesus finishes by saying, for he came to seek and save the lost. That is the heartbeat of God. And it must also be our heartbeat as well, individually and collectively as a church. It's why we exist, to help people move one step closer to Jesus and reach those far from him. This is what matters to God, so it must be what matters to us. So what, what do we do with all of this? Well, first, is I just want to encourage you. Your life may be a mess. Your life may be a wreck. You might be full of regret. And it's not like we're talking regret from 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. There might be some there, but some of you are, we're talking regret from 12 hours ago. And what I want to remind you is everybody might know your mess. Everybody might know the details of your life. Everybody might know about your mistakes. God knows about your mess. God knows about your mistakes. God loves you and he's calling you by name. And he's saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. He came to seek and save the lost. The heartbeat of God is to love those who are far from him. And don't you dare question whether God can love you. Out of everyone that he could have called out to, he chose Zacchaeus. Next, since this is the heartbeat of God, this must be our heartbeat as well. This is why we celebrate and we love and we are excited about life change. This is why I've told you every, every Sunday for the last month, don't be late to church next Sunday. It's Easter, but that's not why. I mean, yeah, you shouldn't be late, but don't be late because, just because it's Easter. But at 9.45, we are celebrating the fact that people have made, have made the decision to follow after Jesus. Their lives are changed. Their eternities are altered. As of right now, we're going to be celebrating with nine people who've made the decision to follow Jesus. We baptize them next Sunday at 945. And I know some of you are still on the fence. And I'm not here to twist your arm. I'm just telling you, if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, you just need to be baptized. So if it's not going to be next Sunday, then it needs to be soon. But it might as well be next Sunday. So just get baptized, all right? Uh, just telling you that. But I'm telling you, do not be late. Because it's going to be a celebration. Because this is the heart of God. And this is our heart. That we celebrate lives changed. That we celebrate what Jesus has done. Because we've all been there. We've all needed it. And we've seen the difference that happens. And we want that desperately for every single person. That when we follow Jesus, our lives should be changed. Zacchaeus, who was a thief, 
who stole and took advantage of people. His life is now marked with restoration, generosity. Yeah, Jesus meets us when we're a mess, but for the love of God, we don't stay that way. Our lives are changed and they're transformed. They're made new. And the question is, have you experienced that joy? Have you experienced the joy of that transformation? Or does it feel like following Jesus is a chore? Are you begrudgingly holding on to something? You know he's called you to let go of. That you know that you know he's called you to change. It's no accident that this story comes on the heels of Luke chapter 18. Where we're told about the rich young man that we looked at last week who wanted Jesus but on his own terms. And there we tragically saw, we never heard from him again, as he wouldn't accept Jesus for who he is. And we'll never hear about Zacchaeus again, but we're told all we need to know, that his life is forever altered. He's forever changed. But our God seeks us out. Even when we have regrets, even when everyone knows our story, He calls us by name. That we are never too far gone for Him. And that He loves us. And so we individually and collectively, must be that place. That when the biggest mess in town walks in these doors, we celebrate that fact. Because they are loved by God. And it is our job to show them that same love and introduce them to the hope of Jesus. God, may we be a place is in line with your heart. And may that start with us individually. As people, we desire to see you work in incredible ways. God, I I pray for the person that's here and that's wrestling with whether or not they really want to follow you. In the quietness of this moment, the quietness of their heart, your spirit would just confirm what they already know, but they've held back. There is no greater peace. There is no greater joy than following you. And God, that that would be a joy that they experience. 
and a life transformed. We pray, God, that we would continue to see you work through us selfishly. God, we ask that you continue to work through us. That as we celebrate next week the lives that we've seen transformed, God, we would see more and more and more of that for your glory. Not because we're trying to build something for ourselves. God, we want to be a part of what you're doing. To provide the message of hope to those who are hopeless. To provide love to those who feel unlovable. To model mercy and grace. And God, that starts with us individually. Before we can do it collectively, it must start with us individually. And so God, may that be a way that we live our lives. Modeling you, Jesus. Modeling your care and your concern for the sinners who are far from you. Remembering what you've done in our own lives. Remembering how you have changed us. God, let us see you work. Let us see you change people. Let us see lives change. Let us see eternities altered. We will give you all the honor and all the praise. Let us, God, just live lives that show the mark of having followed you. Let us be people who are full of restoration. Let us be people who are generous. Let us live lives that impact for your kingdom and your son. In Jesus' name we do pray.